the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. In 2016, a very controversial but highly prescient essay was written and published called The Flight 93 Election, and it really laid out in very stark terms that offended many people on the right, the conservative establishment legacy people. But it laid out in very stark terms the choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and what was at stake. Um, And actually now looking back, it seems a little bit optimistic. Um, But the author of that essay not only was spot on, he continues to speak out about the, the condition of the country. He has written another book called The Stakes, which is a follow-up really to the Flight 93 uh, election essay. And he's just one of the greatest thinkers on the right right now, which of course we need because there's a dearth of them. <laughs> so with me now is Michael Anton. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. So, Michael, I want to talk to you before we get into your latest essay called The Continuing Crisis, which can be found on the Claremont uh, Review Books uh, uh, website and also the hard copy. This week, we are have nothing going on in Capitol Hill except January 6th, January 6th, the armed insurrection, et cetera. So your essay really ta- – your, your piece here really talks about the election and its aftermath. What are we seeing now? What do, what do you make of this hysteria? And how do we get out of this? I mean, I'm a bit of a – I had to go back and forth with my editors at the CRB, uh, something of a difference of opinion. I mean, it's a friendly difference of opinion. I think they took January 6th much more seriously than I did, which is to say I don't discount it. Five people did die. Uh, as I understand it, a, a Capitol, we know a Capitol Hill police officer died. The, the regime, as I have now taken to calling it, um, initially tried to imply or even say that he was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher by one of the rioter protesters. That has been walked back. Now they just simply won't say how he died at all. And his family has said, drop the subject. We don't want a, this man's death to be politicized. We know that the officer was a Trump supporter, not to say that if he had been attacked, anyone who was attacking him would have known that. Um, but it seems to me that the, you know, what they were looking for was some kind of martyr that they could say Trump supporters are violent. This guy was killed defending the Capitol by violent people. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that what happened is, is that they looked into it. He had a pre-existing medical condition. They don't really have any evidence that he was killed by a Trump supporter or even by violence at all. And they, which means they can't keep pushing the old false narrative. But here's the one thing they never do. When they push out something that's a lie at the beginning, they never come out and walk it back. So, for instance, in the Covington fiasco, great example, um, you know, racist kids picking on Native American 
protester activist. All turns out to be a complete lie, and the only reason we know it is because of lots of people taking video at the time and subsequent libel suits. But you know, none of the media that reported the falsehood in the first place ever comes out and goes, "Gosh, we really got that wrong. We're sorry." You know, they just try to make the story go away. And the, part of the sinister aspect of that is they leave that initial impression in place, right? So if the only thing you saw as a reader of the New York Times or the Washington Post was the initial reporting that, oh, this man, this police officer was beaten to death by protesters, and you're not reading the papers carefully every day, you won't know right. that that has been walked back. Uh, that's, that's almost certainly not true. You'll just remember that initial impression, and, that, and that's what the regime wants for, for you. They want you to remember only that initial impression, and then they console themselves by saying, well, we're not lying. We, we reported what, uh, the best information we had at the time, and just because we declined to clarify later doesn't mean that we're lying, right? It's all a pretty clever game. Um, so five people died. One, one person was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. Um, I have seen reports they're all leaked reports. I don't know how credible it is that, you know, they've already concluded the shooting was fine. We're not going to release the name of the officer who did it. We're not going to do any further investigation. So that, I, even if that isn't the formal conclusion now, I say 99% you and I both know that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's just going to be, well, you know, this was, this was justified. We, you know, it's done, already buried. Over. It's already buried. There's, there's no coverage of it. There's no interest. You know this, Michael. When, when a police officer shoots somebody, we know right away who the officer's name. We know his family members. He gets doxxed. He it, gets... it depends on who they shoot. Oh, <laughs> you know, it yeah. depends on the political. I mean, if, if 2020 made every, one thing plain or should have made plain to everybody is that equal justice in the United States is now a complete and total farce that does not exist on any plane. And I don't just mean in the criminal justice system or with police shootings, but in white collar crime, uh, political type stuff, you know, giving the wrong amount of money or too much money to the a certain candidate can land you in jail if you're on one side, or it can not, you know, not even be, uh, have charges brought against you if you're on the other side. The country is uh, a complete hoo-hoo at this point. If you're on the right side, you get, you get lenient treatment or no treatment. And if you're on the wrong side, you get the book thrown at you for jaywalking. It's true. And, you know, watching the Merrick Garland hearings this week gives no assurances. Well, first of all, I don't, I don't know if you're watching any of it, but no, he, oh, I figured you weren't. But he's, he is not at all prepared to be attorney general. He will be he's kind of the Robert Mueller. He's going to be the front man and then have the Andrew Weissman's of the world uh, really take the reins. Well, the what Justice I've seen Department. from the reporting is what they're going to do, which is which was obvious from the moment January 6th happened, is this turned out to be a supremely convenient excuse for them to do all kinds of things that they've been wanting to do for a while that I think, I think they would have done anyway, but now that they can do on a vastly accelerated time frame. So, I mean, to, 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 to read the reporting from Merrick Garland's hearings, which I admit I haven't watched, if the reporting is accurate, what he has said is, is that America is essentially, it's, it's, you know, it's 19, late 1932 in America. And it is on the eve of a takeover by vicious Nazis, and we have to use all the apparatus of the security state to suppress these racist Nazis from taking over the country. And that's going to justify all kinds of surveillance, massive law enforcement operations against any dissent against the left-wing agenda. Now, I think that is entirely preposterous. I I go back and forth on whether the people who push this narrative actually believe it. I think some do. They're that deluded. I think some know it's a lie, but it's a useful lie because it allows them to enact the agenda they want. But what we are obviously going to get from the Department of Justice in the next four to eight to 16 whatever years is um, 
criminalization of dissent, um, ignoring what used to be considered the types of crimes that the Department of Justice actually did investigate, right? And a complete politicization of the department. That is to say the completion of the politicization of the department, which, is, which has been underway for years. Right. They are basically the law enforcement arm of the Democratic Party. They do nothing to represent 330 million Americans, regardless of political affiliation. You talk about in your piece, um, but really what this is covering up, as you detail in your in your article here, is the legitimate election fraud that took place last year. This is they, they want this buried. They want this criminalized. Go through what you talk about in your piece here that we already know and a lot of Americans know. Well, I will have a new piece up, I think, tomorrow on American Greatness going into more detail, which just – look, I don't actually know what happened. I'm not a firm believer in anything about the 2020 election. So I have friends – uh, who, who, will talk to, who will talk to me about it and say, I know this was stolen, and they'll go through the list, to which I listen to sympathetically, but I say to them, look, you haven't proved your case to me, right. to my satisfaction, and I'm sympathetic. Therefore, you can't expect the arguments you just made to me to, to be convincing to people who are less sympathetic, right? What I, I do say that at least the people who are trying to allege fraud, try, they're trying to make arguments. The people who are denying all fraud, they're not making arguments. They're just saying, shut up. Shut up. Do not talk about this. We will punish you if you talk about it. It is a conspiracy theory. We've, I've seen some reports that the DOJ is considering going after people, uh, finding some novel way to prosecute people for doubting or for spreading you know, false information about the election. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I'd like to say that's ridiculous. It's going to happen. So in that sense, it's not ridiculous. It shows you though, that there, there's no First Amendment protection left in the United States for people on the wrong side of the regime. As for my own stance, I don't know what happened in 2020. I saw a lot of things that looked fishy. I personally have not been satisfied by the explanation. I long ago came to the conclusion that I personally will never be able on my own to figure out what happened. To figure out what really happened would require um, cooperation of investigating authorities at the state, federal, and local levels, most of, of which authorities have an interest in having the election come out the way it did and have an interest in not exposing fraud because fraud is a tool that they use to get what they want when they want it. There, I therefore conclude that there will be no investigation, and we'll never know. Uh, people who like the outcome will, will simply insist that it was all above board. Actually, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the new piece is because I'm constantly, not constantly, but at least a little bit lately, I'm getting ankle-bitten by supposed conservatives saying, oh, there goes Anton again, you know, peddling base, baseless conspiracy theories that have been quote-unquote debunked. To which I only say, well, okay, maybe to you, you know, Ramesh Panuru, Rich Lowry, National Review, they've been quote unquote debunked. They haven't been debunked for my satisfaction. On the other, after this quick break, I want to talk about a little bit about your original essay, Flight 93, and those people you just mentioned and how they targeted you then and they just will, they, they can't quit you. Grab a good seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show. Michael, you brought up the National Review crowd, Ramesh Panururu, however you say his name, Rich Lowry and Jonah Goldberg, who now are, he's now at the Dispatch. They were, of course, Bill Crystal, who outed you as the anonymous author of the Flight 93 election. These people are, are on your tail constantly. 
And so ta- uh, what happened after you pu- after you published that? Why do you think that they are still after you? Aside from the fact that you've been right and they've been wrong, what do they? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the, the the charitable explanation what would be well, they, you know, they simply disagree and it's an honest disagreement and you know, debate is all about disagreement. Uh, I guess the sense that that's not really it though, <laughs> no. especially since I really don't ever I don't write about them or talk about them. Um, I don't honestly, why. to be to be honest, to be perfectly honest, I, I long ago, long before I even wrote the Flight 93 election, I had stopped reading National Review. I had stopped reading NRO. I had stopped caring what they think. I had found it not only entirely uninteresting, but I had found it to be basically controlled opposition. You know, just to, just cover for the right flank of the Democratic Party and the blue the blue leftist oligarchy. And I found, you know, I I already know I know all these arguments. And everything is, in any case, offered in bad faith. I just don't care about this anymore. Jonah Goldberg so, really has it out for you, I think, because for the reasons that you just said, and not that anyone cares. Jonah Goldberg is washed up. He's just a bitter old man. But, again, you could judge someone by their enemies. And I think the fact that this crowd that's always been wrong, like you said, controlled opposition, they're all in on January 6th, too. You know, they're... You even have somebody like Andy McCarthy, a former prosecutor, who said Brian Sicknick was murdered, and he had to walk that back, too. They're always on that side. They're always shooting to the right. You're- yeah, uh, my friend and, and, and sort of boss, in the sense that I have two affiliations, one is with the Claremont Institute, the president of the Claremont Institute, Ryan Williams, had a had a, an amusing tweet the other night. Um, I just want to clarify: I'm not on Twitter. I don't look at Twitter, but people send me links, and sometimes when friends send me links, I will look at it. All right, there's my defense. Myself, <laughs> believe it if not, that's like somebody in the '70s saying I only read Playboy for the articles, but whatever. <laughs> Ryan said, you know, here, here's a new definition of David Frenchism, a term coined by uh, Sorab Amari of the New York Post. Um, you know, always punch right. That's the only thing that you do. They exist only to punch right, right? These guys are supposedly the avatars of conservatism. I never see them take on the left anymore, nope. ever, on, on anything. I, I mean, it's just to them, their sole role, the only thing that gives their soul, the soul, S-O-L-E, now S-O-U-L, the only thing that gives their soul pleasure or meaning is to police their ostensible side and to show, you know, to virtue signal, and maybe an overused term, but I think it works here in this sense, to virtue signal to their, 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 their real masters of the left. What they really want is a secure place in the leftist regime as the good conservatives, the, you know, the people who represent uh, honest, reasonable conservatism and so can go on the TV shows and be quoted in the mainstream media mm-hmm. and so on. That's what they really want. And that's basically what they have. And that is the, I think, their position in society that their every utterance and every writing serves to protect. Your book, The Stakes, is sort of a follow-up to your original essay. And it really talks about, I mean, you, you detail the situation in California, which is dismal, and other, <laughs> I guess, pretty depressing aspects of the condition of our country right now. I really urge people to pick it up because you're always you understand what's at stake and you also can explain it. If I may say, I mean, it's meant to be it's not meant to be the follow up to the Flight 93 election. It's meant to be something bigger than that. Just that. I mean, I'm sensitive on this point. (laughs) So so hear me out. Hear me out. Right. It's supposed to be a real I mean, I was trained as a political scientist, and now I actually practice political science as a, as a, as a, as a college teacher. Okay? And it's meant to be regime analysis, which is a classic genre of political sciences, which is to look at a government, a regime, a form of government, and say, 
How does it actually operate, right? In the ancient world, you know, Plato and Aristotle and Xenophon wrote these descriptions of constitutions of the Athenians, the constitution of the Spartans. It's meant to be something like that for the United States, except rather than just what the, what the, what the out-of-touch uh, conservatives uh, do is they look at the parchment of 1787-1791 and they and which is fine I did this too in grad school and it's it's wonderfully and uh, ennobling and enlightening one should do this one should look at the parchment read the actual documents read the arguments made in their favor but official conservatism looks at that and says well if we know what James Madison thought then we know everything well, what if what James Madison thought and what the parchment says is not actually honored in the operation of the United States government in 2020, 2021? I wrote the book mostly in 2020, and it was published in 2020, right? And that's where they, they refuse to admit that anything has changed. To them, you know, once you, once you know, you know, you have your little pocket, you know, Cato Institute Declaration Constitution, that's all you need to know. That's it. You're done. You know what America is. Well, America 2021, the regime does not operate the way the parchment says, and I try to explain how it actually does operate. And I think if I may be immodest, I have a better understanding of the parchment than any of those clowns do. And I certainly have a better grasp of the ways to which the parchment is not honored, is not operational. So it offers a regime analysis, both of what the regime was supposed to be, what it actually is and how it operates and where I think it, it is going if it remains on its current trajectory. And where is it going? Well, that's the, I, I lay this out in chapter seven. I don't know. So I give possibilities, right? I, I'm not, I have no crystal ball, but I do think that a few possibilities are likely. I think that, um, you know, it's, uh, the regime could crack up. It could fail uh, or, or, or it could succeed. That is to say what we have now could keep going. And I speculate as to how long it could be, keep going. Right. Um, I do think that the present ruling arrangements in the United States are too inherently self-contradictory too anti-nature, too just stupid, but also too wrought by inherent stress points within the coalition that the left has built, that it's hard to imagine this going on for a long time. You know, people will, will throw a depressive thought in my face and they say, well, you know, the Soviet Union lasted 70 years. And I go, yeah, that's bad. Uh, I'd hate for this to last 70 years. <laughs> then again, you know, it's not clear if you start the clock on the woke regime we have in 2020 or does it go back a number of decades? The roots of it certainly go back a number of decades. But also, you know, to try to be a little bit more optimistic, I don't yet see um, the kind of ruthless competence of uh, and, and, and just pure malevolent focused evil of a Lenin in anybody in this regime today, right? I mean, whatever you may think of Joe Biden, I mean, come on, he's not that. Um, I think much less of Kamala Harris than of Joe Biden, and I actually do think she has some serious malevolence in her heart. I've seen it as a native of California, but thank God I think she also is just not as smart or driven as some of the people who made the Soviet Union last 70 years, which gives me hope that this thing may not have a very, very super long shelf life. I think that's a really solid point. And watching Merrick Garland, and I was thinking, God, don't don't put this guy as attorney general. Then part of me says, go ahead, because he can't even finish a sentence. He doesn't. He has no grasp of anything that's going on. So to your point, there are a lot of people who are in these positions of power, and we saw this even with Jim Comey, et cetera. Yeah, they damaged some people, but their end goal, they never finished up because they're well, I, I don't know. I'm, now I'm going to be the, the more pessimistic. Um, I think they've done a lot of damage, and I think their their power is more consolidated now. The the energy on the left, blue left coalition, is give me everything immediately, and if you don't, you're Hitler. 
Michael Anton, thank you so much for your time today. You, Michael is one of the great, not just thinkers, but writers and talkers. If you haven't read any of his work, check it out, please. Michael, thanks so much. Thank you. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.